Hi, this is Tom Harvey, the Economy Guy. This podcast is all about macroeconomics. It's what's going on in the world around us and what it is can possibly do for us or to us. And welcome. This is an educational show. I want to just give you facts, figures, and some of my opinions so that you can make your own personal informed investing decisions. Sunday, the 5th of July, and this is the Economy Guy coming to you for your weekly update and some interesting new way of doing the program today. First of all, to the American listeners, happy 4th of July weekend. Isn't this great? And you know it's been 244 years since the U.S. declared its independence from England. But, ironically, uh, we're not really independent since the virus got into all the countries that it was going to go into. It's kind of dependent, not independent. Oh, well. And to the Canadian listeners, a, uh, an early uh, Happy Canada Day. And to the French listeners, a uh, Joyeux 14 Juillet, or poorly translated, Happy Bastille Day. So, what am I going to do differently in this session? I am going to do something new, which is I'm going to do some what-ifs. The purpose of the Economy Guy broadcast is to educate and make you think for yourself. So I want to do some what-ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? And then what are the consequences of those things happening? Think it through. So I'm going to help think it through and begin that thought process because that's the thought process that I think is invaluable for you, the listener, to do yourself. When you see news out there, understanding the fundamentals, what does it mean? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to the economy? You can actually think through most things yourself. Everybody's pretty smart in this world. The listeners of Economy Guy are particularly smart. So, when I get back to you, I will start the first what if, which is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I'll be right back. Let's do the first what if. Let's think this through a little bit. Let me set some background for you, first of all. The Federal Reserve in the United States is purchasing corporate bonds right now. They're purchasing a lot of stuff, but just particularly talk about corporate bonds. And it's reasonable to assume that in the future, they're going to want to sell those back into the market and get out of the corporate bond business. They're, they have no reason to be in it ever. They're doing it in order to stabilize interest rates today. But they, it's in a, in a good, normal market. If we could ever get there, they would not want to own them. They would want to sell them. So let's say that the Fed, let's put yourself in the Fed shoes. Say you want to sell them. Do you want to go to the market and say, ah, here's a trillion dollars worth of bonds. Let's just dump them on the market. Well, that would be kind of a uh, a major wave. So perhaps if you're the Fed, you say, I'm going to sell these slowly into the market. Well, what, how is slow is slow. Let's just say... Uh, they own uh, 24 different bonds, uh, companies, companies worth of bonds, and uh, 
and they do one a month. That'd be two years. They're going to spread out the sales over a two-year period. That's kind of the way the Fed thinks. It might even be much longer, three or four or five years. But they would spread it out slowly, one little bit at a time. But they also are a pretty transparent organization. They tell you what they're doing. Not only do they tell you what they're doing, you can look in market records and see what they're doing. So what happens? What happens? This is a mind game. What is the what if? What if they sell them slowly? They start selling them off a little bit at a time. Well, the first thing that you know are markets are really smart. In other words, everybody else that's in the market, in the bond market we're talking about specifically, you can associate this to any market, but the bond market, they're really smart people, particularly smart. You know the bond market's much bigger than the stock market. So these are really smart people. They look after a lot of money, and there's a large number of people that are doing that. So all the pension funds, et cetera, et cetera, all, all insurance companies, everybody owns this thing. Person, people in their own portfolio own bonds. So what happens? You see the Fed, the Fed has now instituted a program. They've announced a program, and they're about to sell, and they're going to sell slowly so as not to disturb the market. Some bonds. Well, if you're a... Fed watcher, you know that the Fed does what it's going to do. It's going to do what it says. So you want to get ahead of it, right? So in my opinion, the market understanding what the Fed is going to do is to get out in front of it. The market will act much faster than the Fed is going to do. And they will say, well, how do you make money when the Fed is selling bonds? If the Fed is selling bonds, that means the value of bonds, bonds are going up. That means interest rates are going up. I mean, value is going down. Interest rates are going up. So how do you get ahead of that? Gee whiz. Well, you can sell yours now before it goes down and buy it later after it goes down. That's one thing. And then I would imagine some people would be doing that. People could be buying options, futures. Uh, all of that could be going on in this market. But I think it would happen very quickly. So... In reality, the what if, what if the Fed decides to do this is the market would probably take over very quickly and swamp the Fed's desire to not have a big wave. The market would create a big wave in the bond market. There's an example of a what if. That's one what if. And I hope you enjoyed that because that's the kind of thought process I want you to do. Now, when I come back to you, I'm going to do a second what if, a much more serious what if and uh, see what you think about this one. This is uh, something that's probably coming in our future and you need to think about a lot. Be right back. Podcast listeners, if you're interested in having better health and living longer, have I got a deal for you. I highly recommend you go to a fantastic new podcast out there called Impact Radio by Christine Harvey. That's my wife. And she has the best podcast on how to live longer and how to be live healthier that you're going to find. She's doing some great in-depth research and presenting it to anyone who wants to listen to her podcast. So you can find that on your favorite podcast player. Uh, that's Impact Radio by Christine Harvey. Now let's get on to the second what if. Second, what if? What is? Let's look at the, some background for this. Some of the uh, best economists in the 
the world today have uh, predicted that the U.S. dollar is going to decline by 35% in the, and starting in the near future. It's going to start declining. Now, how do you measure uh, the value of the U.S. dollar? There's an index called DXY, which compares the U.S. dollar to a basket of other currencies. And so it's an easy measure. It's uh, published daily. And uh, you can see what the value of the dollar is and how it's doing. And you can look up charts on what it's done in the past. But a drop of 35% is pretty unprecedented and uh, would be caused by uh, the fear uh, that the dollar is uh, not as worth as much because there's so many of them out there. In other words, the Fed's printing the heck out of them and uh, faith has been lost in the dollar. And there's a bunch of political aspects to this too, which we don't need to get into. But that's the background. So what if this happens? That's the question. What does it mean? Well, let's look at the obvious thing that it means. It means that imports cost more money, right? Uh, the, the cost of all imports, I mean, we buy everything from China today, don't we? Uh, all, all imports is going to go up. And that means inflation. Inflation definitely on all imported goods. You want your best French wine. You want your best French cognac. You want a, a great British cheese. You want you name it. If, if it's imported, the price is going to be more. That's not good. No, it isn't. So that's the first impact. That's an obvious one. Another obvious impact. Exports are cheaper for the people who are going to be buying them because their currency is worth more. That means they will buy more of our goods. That means that export sales will go up. Very, very good. And Profits of those companies that are doing exports will rise. Very, very good. And I believe export prices will rise too as uh, U.S. producers of goods will take advantage of uh, being able to sell more and cheaper and uh, try to keep a little bit more profit for themselves. So they'll kind of boost their, you know, it's whatever the market bears type concept. Those are obvious impacts of a change in the currency. Right. What's the not so obvious? Well, I think U.S. companies could start uh, to dominate various world markets. Right. Because they're going to get cheaper and U.S. Co companies will then start bringing jobs back to the U.S. and the manufacturing of goods back to the U.S. because the profits are so high selling them from the U.S. compared to being international. So isn't that an interesting, that's something that a lot of politicians would like to have happen and some politicians would not like to have happen, but that would be a, an automatic economic outcome of a lower value dollar. So politics really starts to play into this, doesn't it? What's even less obvious? I'll be right back and give you the less obvious outcome of this what if. Is the less obvious consequences of this what if. This what if, if the U.S. dollar depreciates significantly. And this has been predicted, so uh, this is a, a likely outcome if you believe those economists. The less, less obvious consequences is if you look at 
all the nations of the world, their uh, banks or their governments hold a bunch of assets to back their currency, to hold, to say their country is worth so much money. You know, we have uh, money, uh, a bunch of gold at uh, Fort Knox, and we have a bunch of uh, the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve. That's what the United States is doing. Other countries do other things. But one of the things that all nations hold are U.S. dollars. They're as good as gold in today's world. Well, if you're a nation like that and you can see that the U.S. dollar is going to go down in value, uh, you're going to dump those dollars. You're going to get rid of them. And so that will accelerate the devaluation of the U.S. dollar. And you will replace those dollars with some other asset. So you might choose gold, for example. You might choose SDRs. That's called Special Drawing Rights. It's an IMF uh, currency or bond, if you want to look at it that way. It's a special thing that has been talked about a lot about for countries to hold and to spend and to use as currency. Or you might want to put it, have Chinese yuan. Uh, you might have oil dollars, different kind of things. I mean, the dollar would be starting to go away, the U.S. dollar. So that means those currencies would go up. That also decelerate, or accelerates the U.S the deceleration of the dollar. <laughs> the um, So, and here's another thing you would have to think about really hard. If you're a country that has a strong currency and it's getting stronger and the uh, it buys lots of U.S. dollars, a lot more U.S. dollars, you would start looking at the United States to invest in, to start buying things in the United States. So you can predict fairly accurately that foreign investment in the United States would go up dramatically, dramatically. And let's take the next logical step. If foreign investment goes up in the United States dramatically, what are the political ramifications? Uh, politicians will get involved in this whole process because it'll start affecting things. And uh, they may put up barriers. They may say, no, you can only... Uh, own so much, even though we have a free market and foreign nationals can buy in the United States, most foreign nationals, there are some that are banned, but there may be more banned from doing that, or there may be, you can only buy so much type laws could come along. Those are the what ifs to think about. And we've taken it a long way from a devaluing dollar in our thought process. That's what a what if does. So please Understand that concept and do that as far as you can push a what if. In, when you see something happening or you hear that something might happen, you can get ahead of the crowd, way ahead of the crowd, by doing a few what ifs. I'll be back in a little bit more with uh, more traditional markets. with the market update. What's happened in the last week in the markets? Well, stocks are going sideways. I see this every week, but it's absolutely true. Did you know that the stock market values are roughly the same today as they were at the beginning of the year? In other words, for a six-month period, stocks have neither gone up nor down. I mean, they went down and came back up in the middle of the year, but from comparing the beginning to now, they're the same place they were. That's what stocks are doing, going sideways. Most things are going sideways. Gold, on the other hand, is uh, going up. Gold hit $1,800 last Tuesday. 
uh, and bounced off and came back down. It's in the high 1700s right now. It just amazes me. I expected it to fall significantly and retest its lows. It did not do that. Uh, I don't understand why gold is so strong, but who am I to ask it? Gold is up 18% so far this year. Six months, it's up 18%. Um, that's all, all good. All the other markets, oil is back around $40 now. That's uh, pretty good, um, but not good enough for oil companies. So I believe that there's lots of stress in the oil market. I'm going to talk about that in the news section coming up. Otherwise, market's going sideways. That's the thing to put in your, your uh, pipe and smoke it. Uh, and I wish you good luck on the markets. I'll be back again with some kind of interesting oddball news and quick news. The oddball news and the uh, kind of the shotgun news. So let's hit some uh, bankruptcies. Chesapeake Energy, that's one of the biggest energy companies out there, is uh, going in Chapter 11. So uh, that's they have about a billion dollars worth of assets that are uh, going to get liquidated. That's a big deal. But more importantly, there are about 200 more shale oil companies that are in deep trouble and will probably go under as we go through 2020. So tip of the iceberg here with the oil companies. They are in deep trouble. Here's another one along the same line. Did you know that Pizza Hut and Wendy's are going to Chapter 11? Now they're going to continue operating. You can go buy your favorite pizza or hamburger at those places, uh, but they're going to be restructured financially. That means that the uh, shareholders will probably get wiped out. The bondholders will lose a lot of money because they made a foolish investment, and uh, hopefully they'll learn a lesson. But that's the, mar the capital markets working correctly. And then somebody will come in, buy it cheaply, and continue running it and make profit. That's where that's going. Uh, Here's one. In Europe, Airbus, you know, they're the rivals of uh, Boeing in the United States for building airplanes. Uh, they're selling 40% fewer aircraft uh, this year. They, that's their prediction. And uh, that's not good for them. And they're going to be doing that for about a two-year period. So if they're doing 40% more, normally Boeing and Airbus kind of mirror each other. I suspect that's where Boeing's going. I wonder if uh, that will affect the share prices a lot of Boeing and Airbus. It certainly has hit Airbus. Uh, mortgage rates. Hey, everybody out there want like a new mortgage? They hit an all-time low. Look, I said this a couple of weeks ago. It's now even lower. It's 3.07% for a 30-year mortgage. That is phenomenal. Um, for those of you looking for a mortgage, when you see a real low, lock it in because they... Uh, it isn't like it's marching down. They actually bounce up and down, so you could miss it on the low if you don't lock it. Uh, so just a piece of advice if you're doing mortgage stuff. Okay, let's see what else we have here. How about... Uh, did you know in the United States on the 4th of July that uh, last year, 2019, about 86% of families were going to celebrate it, this year, 76% of families are going to celebrate it. That's a significant reduction in uh, the number of families that are going to celebrate it because the typical family spends 76 bucks on the celebration in food. So um, that's a lot of food. Uh, so that is uh, going to be a significant drop in uh, food spending for those of you who care. 
Now, for the more serious of you out there, here's a new one. Did you know that last Thursday, a, an Iranian nuclear site, the one that makes uh, bombs, hydrogen bombs, those are, this is actually atomic bombs they're making, uh, had a big explosion. Surprise, surprise, there are people that come out and claim responsibility, groups that nobody's heard of. They were uh, doing uh, uranium enrichment at this place. And uh, it uh, probably did some damage because if you're going to blow a place up, you want to do it in a strategically important spot. Um, so uh, that's kind of interesting. And then you can you can speculate about that because who wants to uh, stop the Iranians from making a bomb? There's a lot of people in the world that want to stop it and would have supported this effort. So I uh, bet you hadn't heard that one in the news. Isn't that exciting? I'll be back in a little bit with uh, talking about... Globalization. Here's a hot topic. And then talk about globalization. And the question is, is globalization a good thing? That's what I'm going to address today. First of all, let's, what, is, what, what happens if you have globalization? In other words, factories for the same company are spread around the world. They're built for various economic reasons. Things are built in various countries and then shipped around the world to their customers. That's kind of the world we live in today, right? Well, it, it creates the appearance of stability, right? And reduce, reduces volatility in the world. It really does. And that is the rationale for how we got to globalization. Those are, and, that, and it actually does happen. I mean, there's, that's, those are good things. And it does happen. That's the world of globalization. And it and that's how we got pushed into globalization. Here's the but. The but. Um, you see that assumption of stability and lack of volatility has a major assumption that the world works on a bell curve, a Gaussian statistical thing. Those of you in math will understand that. But a bell curve, which means generally things happen in the middle of the bell curve. The rare events happen on the edges. Well, Mother Nature was never told it had to be a bell curve. In some cases, Mother Nature is a bell curve. In a lot of cases, it is not. Economy is one of those things. Well, so the but is globalization opens the door to a global collapse, right? When the glo if, if the whole system comes down, the entire globe comes down. And that's also where we are today. So, so uh, with the current virus, uh, think of the supply chain problems that we have been having, especially in the medical field. Uh, think about uh, GDP falling everywhere instantly around the globe at once. That's happened here on our globe. Now, now what happens? How do you get the globalization? Well, think of the banking system. There's an, a good example, banking systems. When a, a bad bank happens... It gets absorbed into sound banks. That means that big banks that fail, and that happened back in 2009, right? Remember Bear Stearns went away and uh, Lehman Brothers went away? Well, they didn't really go away because all their assets got absorbed into other big banks, and the big banks got bigger. Big banks are bigger banks today, and bigger banks are even bigger banks today. So big banks are getting bigger, and if a bank goes down, banks today own assets across all bank classes. So if you're a bank in the United States, you own assets in a bank all over the globe. 
So if a bank starts to go down in the globe, it could pull down all banks in the globe. That's the bad side. So we have globalization in banking today, very much so. So with the, today's virus crisis, it's, uh, it's, this is amazing. I mean, the virus was an event that was not on a bell curve. It, it's outside of the bell curve. It's over there in left field somewhere. It's not anywhere near the bell curve. Who would have predicted that a virus would have come, up, come down and shut down the whole globe? It happened. So good example of how the assumptions on how the world should work don't really come about. But who would have guessed, uh, for example, today that uh, in our global environment that uh, some nations are closing the doors to travel from other nations? Fascinating, but true. That's going on, on today. Why? Because of the virus. There's rationale for doing that. But would you have guessed it? Would you have been able to predict it? Would you have been able to see what the economic impact is? Absolutely not, because it's coming from left field. And that's all happening today. So I leave the answer to that question, is globalization good? I leave that to the listener. You make up your own mind. In the past, we've only been given the pros, but there are some cons, and you need to understand that. I'll be uh, signing off now, and I wish everybody a fantastic week coming up. It's going to be exciting, and I'm looking forward to it. Bye now. Thank you for joining us. Please hit the subscribe button on your podcast reader to get future podcasts. This is Tom Harvey. I am an investor myself, not a financial advisor. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as advice or a solicitation to trade, and we disclaim any responsibility for any negative effects of actions people might take.